This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. On our very first episode of The Journal, back in June, we did a story about the U.S. entering its longest period of economic growth in modern American history. But now there are new troubling signs. It has been a tumultuous 24 hours for stock markets, the worst day of the year for Wall Street. New numbers suggest that beneath the public optimism, the economy may not be as strong as it ever had been touted. Adding to the uncertainty, the U.S. trade war with China is constantly taking new turns. On Friday, President Trump announced more tariffs on Chinese goods. And then, at a weekend meeting of world leaders, Trump seemed to say he regretted the move. You have second thoughts about escalating the war? I have second thoughts about everything. <laughs> Later, the White House walked that back, saying Trump actually meant he had second thoughts about not going far enough. And today, Trump said when it comes to tariffs, anything is possible. After a tumultuous summer, what are the worrying signs in the economy? And if a recession is approaching, can anything be done to stop it? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, August 26th. Everywhere I've gone on my beat, something bad has happened. So in 97, I started the week that the Asian financial crisis started. I came back to the United States to cover the U.S. economy the month the tech bubble burst and went down to cover the Fed the week that Lehman Brothers blew up. John Hilsenrath covers economics for The Wall Street Journal. So, John, you know recessions pretty well. Would you say there's one coming? I don't know for sure that one is. What we know is there are risks. There are yellow flags that we need to raise now that weren't being raised a few months ago. What has happened over the summer to darken that outlook? Well, I mean, a couple of things have happened. One thing is just what's going on in financial markets, especially the bond market, is this place where economists go to kind of read all these strange tea leaves. And if you look inside the bond market and see what's happening with different kinds of interest rates, sometimes you get a sense of what's going to happen in the future. They're like soothsayers, right? Economists look at how long-term interest rates are behaving and how long-term interest rates are behaving relative to short-term interest rates. In the past, when long-term interest rates fall very low, particularly when they get below short-term interest rates, it's been a sign of recession. But then the other thing in the real world is this trade war is just intensifying. Between the U.S. and China? In particular, between the U.S. and China. You know, if you go back to April, there was a lot of conversation between you know, the White House and the Chinese negotiators setting the stage for a meeting between President Trump and President Xi to sign an agreement. Well, the White House feels that the Chinese backed away from that. 
the White House increased tariffs in the process. And the Chinese have just very recently responded by retaliating against the U.S. So on the one hand, you have these smoke signals coming out of the markets. But then, you know, in the policy world and in the real world, you have a trade war that was supposed to be settling down getting worse. And that's causing a lot of uncertainty at businesses. What about worrying signs internationally? Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> that's that's another important piece of the puzzle. So the rest of the world is slowing down. We recently saw data from Germany suggesting that Germany's economy had actually contracted in the last quarter. Germany is a great example here because they're caught in the middle of this trade war. Germany is a very export-oriented economy, and with global trade slowing, they're being hit very hard. China is also slowing down, and, you know, the U.S. is not an island. So there's a, a lot going on, and I'm just wondering if we have gone from if there will be a recession to when there's going to be a recession. I think we've moved from probably not to maybe. We do a survey of Wall Street economists every month, and we ask them for all kinds of forecasts. They're usually wrong about most of them, but uh, it's nice to hear what they're thinking. And one of the questions we ask them is, what's the probability of a recession? And what we've seen over the last three, four months is that their estimates of the probability of a recession have gone up substantially. So if economists see the chance of a recession rising, what are the tools that can be used to prevent it or mitigate it? So here, I think, is the really interesting story here. You know, so everybody's been talking about recession. You know, are we going to have one? For me, the really interesting story is, what do we do if we get one? And the scary thing is, we don't have a lot of tools to deal with a recession now. Economists are seeing signs that a recession may be on the way. But what might be more troubling is that a lot of the tools the government normally has to stave off an economic downturn, they're not around right now. One of the classic tools is in the hands of the Federal Reserve, cutting interest rates. What they're doing by cutting interest rates is they're trying to bring consumption that might have happened in the future into the present to soften the blow of a slowdown in the present. And it was easy for the Fed to do that, for instance, in the early 80s when interest rates were at double-digit levels. The Fed cut interest rates, and we had an economic boom because all of a sudden credit was much cheaper. Well, today, it's a totally different story. The story is different today because interest rates are already so low. In past downturns, the Fed has had more room to cut rates dramatically, maybe five or more percentage points. Right now, they only have two points to work with. This creates a really interesting dilemma for the Fed. Imagine yourself in a shootout, and instead of being able to fill your revolver with six bullets, you've only got two. You got to decide real carefully how you're going to use those bullets. Do you want to shoot them right away and kill your opponent in your shootout before he even gets a chance to shoot? Or do you want to save your ammunition for later in the shootout and try to attack later? And they have somebody shouting at them to shoot first. The president, president of the United States is saying every day, shoot, shoot, shoot. What's the matter with you? 
But, you know, he's in a weird position because he's trying to say, shoot, shoot, shoot to the Fed, but he's trying to tell the rest of the country the economy is doing great. So he's kind of in an awkward spot on this. But this is a real issue for the Fed. You know, they, they have to make a decision. Is the probability of a recession so grave right now that they got to shoot their last two bullets? And they got to spend some time trying to figure out if the risk is real. So while the Fed does its analysis, lawmakers have their own challenge. They need to figure out a policy answer to the possibility of a recession. Fiscal policy is basically what Congress can do or what the White House can do. And they can try and stimulate an economy with tax cuts. If you're a Republican, that's your preferred tool. Uh, Or you could try to stimulate the economy with spending increases. And if you're a Democrat, that's your preferred tool. Now, doing fiscal stimulus presents its own sets of challenges. One of them I just explained. Republicans want to do tax cuts and Democrats want to do spending increases. So how on earth are you ever going to get anyone to agree to do anything in time? So last week, Trump pushed for more tax cuts, right? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. On Tuesday, yeah. But then on Wednesday, not so much. And then on Thursday, maybe. Whether Trump ends up pushing for tax cuts or not, who can say? But there is a major problem to enacting that policy. Lowering taxes means the government needs to borrow more money. And the U.S. already has a massive and growing debt. And that poses the question... Just how much debt do we as a nation want to take on? You know, the the Congressional Budget Office came out just in the past week with new estimates suggesting that the deficit over 10 years was going to be $800 billion higher than it had previously said. We've got trillion-dollar deficits already with an economy that's growing. We have a public debt load in excess of $20 trillion. How much are we comfortable with as a nation? $2 trillion? Maybe more? And, and there's a, there's a real— What is the harm of having a $2 trillion deficit? Well, no, that's a, that is a brilliant question. Because a lot of really serious people are asking that question right now. You know, it used to be the case that, that, that we innately said, no, like too much debt is bad. You know, we have to pay it back eventually. If we don't, our children have to pay it back or our grandchildren have to pay it back. You don't want to borrow so much money that you can't pay back. But here's the other part of the debate right now that's so fascinating is there are a lot of economists who are saying, you know what, maybe deficits aren't so bad because interest rates are so low. So the cost of the government to borrow is exceptionally low, even though the debt is really high. This is like broken, all of these economist models, all these geniuses from MIT and Harvard. Their models say that when government borrowing goes up, then the cost of doing the borrowing should go up too. And it hasn't, it's fallen. So, you know, so some people are making the argument that you actually can go to two trillion or more if you have to, to keep the economy on an even heel. But I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So the Fed has already lowered rates and Trump may be thinking about lowering taxes, but there is one very important option left. That's after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Welcome back. There's been a lot of noise about how our economy is doing. But there is this one big thing that may be at the heart of a lot of the uncertainty, the ongoing trade war with China. It seems to have a different twist and turn every day. And the main thing business leaders are craving right now is clarity. If you talk to a business executive, what he or she will probably tell you is that the most important thing that could happen from a policy perspective is to just give a clearer path on how the trade fight is going to play out. Because the big thing that's causing so much uncertainty in boardrooms right now is what's it going to cost me to import those windshield wipers from China? Is it going to cost me 10 bucks or 15 bucks? I don't know anymore. Let's say the president came out tomorrow and said, you know what? I'm calling off negotiations with the Chinese. It's over. The tariffs that we have in place, I'm keeping in place. I tried to do a deal, but we're at a stalemate. I think the market would rally on something like that because investors and business executives would say, all right, we know the landscape now. I now know it's going to cost me an extra $5 to bring those windshield wipers into the States. And, and that's either going to be a cost of doing business or I'm going to move my production to Vietnam or Mexico or right back to the States. But at least I know how to plan. So why isn't Trump giving clarity on his trade strategy? You know, there's also just the question of his negotiating strategy. He's written in his books that his negotiating strategy as a businessman was to keep the person on the other side off balance. So as a negotiator, he likes to be here one day and there the next to keep the other side guessing. The problem is he's not just negotiating for the Trump organization now. He's negotiating for the whole economy and a lot of people got a plan around the world that he's laying out, and a lot of executives are finding it's it's hard to do that. So is there a way to fix the trade war overall, like reverse things and back off of the tariffs and go back to the previous status quo? No, no, because but this is the other part of this. What the president has set out to do with the Chinese is fundamentally change the nature of our engagement with China on a whole range of issues with relation to trade and how technology gets used on a global basis and, and how our companies, American companies, are allowed to operate within China's borders and how the Chinese kind of structure their very economy, how much support 
they give to state-owned enterprises, the very nature of socialism and capitalism in China. These are really hard long-term issues that I think a lot of people would agree with the president were ignored and overlooked for two decades. You know, we let China into the World Trade Organization in 2001. And, you know, a lot of people feel with some justification that the Chinese were allowed to, if not break the rules, to skate very close to the edge of them for a very long time. And it hurt American workers in a lot of in a lot of blue collar towns. And the president said, we've got to fundamentally alter the way China engages with the global economy. You can't change that overnight. So there's there's inherent uncertainty. That and that's can, how we got a lot of votes. That's how we got a lot of votes. And you know what? A lot of people who disagreed with him agree with him on this issue. A lot of Democrats who disagree with him on any range of issues agree with him on this issue about China. And it's this issue about China that's creating so much uncertainty about the global economy. So there's been a lot of uncertainty. And if a slowdown does arrive, the U.S. doesn't have a lot of options to deal with it. The Fed can't lower interest rates much further, and the political options aren't easy either. How did we get to this point? John says the gears were already turning almost two decades ago. So my mother was a writer, and she had a theory of history. She called the kaleidoscope theory of history. Each configuration grows out of where we were before. So the problems that we've got right now are growing out of dynamics that have been in place for decades. Our concerns about trade and renegotiating our trade agreements with China grow out of our decision in 2000 to let China into the World Trade Organization and how it played the rules of the game over that time. The shape of the business sector and its exposure to the global environment grows out of the decisions made decades ago to embrace globalization. And the tools that we have right now, uh, the fiscal tools, are going to be shaped by the decisions that we've made about taxes and spending before. Even before any downturn happens, we're running trillion-dollar deficits in the face of an economy that's growing. And it's going to be a question of how much bigger are we prepared to let that get when things get bad? And the choice is going to be harder because we decided to have trillion-dollar deficits in the first place. So if we are heading into a recession, what could it look like? You know, I was talking to my colleague Josh Mitchell about this the other day when we were writing about these yellow flags. And, you know, we had this analogy that Recessions are like snowflakes. No two are alike. I think a lot of people worry that our next downturn is going to be like our last one. And our last one was hell. We had a financial crisis. Unemployment got up into the double digits. Profits collapsed. It really devastated the lives of millions of Americans. It felt like we were going into another Great Depression. The consumer sector, because the housing market, which is many households' main asset, contracted. I think the channel that this plays through next time, if it happens, looks a little different. And I think it happens through the business sector. American companies, big businesses, have spent the last 20 years making themselves global. All of the talk in boardrooms was about 
global opportunities and the global economy and reaching consumers overseas and it tapping that huge Chinese market and tapping labor around the world and global supply chains and such. The risk right now is that American companies get squeezed by the trade war, in particular the big multinational companies who are much more exposed to the global economy than, say, you know, your small retailer in Omaha, and that they respond to these risks by holding back or cutting back on investment or even by cutting back on employment here in the U.S., always got to look at what are the pistons driving things. In the last downturn, it was housing. In this one, it's these big multinational companies that built themselves over 25 years to stand astride a global economy. And how are these men and women going to respond to a global marketplace where the rules of the game are now changing? That's the sand in the wheels right now. That's all for today, Monday, August 26th. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday.